You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. Together, we're here to empower, educate, and encourage women to start talking about money. Discover more at fidelity.com slash it's time. Her Money comes to you through PRX. I am Jean Chatsky. Welcome to Her Money. Very glad to have all of you along with me on what is shaping up to be a beautiful day and a very beautiful week, actually. And I am excited to tell you that you, like me, are getting an introduction today to a guy named Kyle Taylor, who you may not have heard his name, but you've probably heard of his personal finance site. It's called The Penny Hoarder, and it is, according to Inc. Magazine, the number one fastest growing private media company in the United States, which is remarkable considering he started it all by himself while working through $50,000 of student loan debt and just trying to figure out how to get his own life on track. And since that's what so many of us are looking to do, so many of you are looking to do, I know I hear it in your letters when you write to me and you tell me what's going on. Everybody's got a personal finance challenge of one sort or another. And Kyle took his and made a business out of it. So Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. So back it up and tell us how did you get from this idea of trying to solve your own problem to transforming it to this thriving enterprise? Well, it's very much an accident. Yeah. They (laughs) always are, aren't they? I know. I feel very blessed in that way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I did not start the penny hoarder with the idea of this is going to be some huge media company. This was a way for me to hold myself accountable. So as you mentioned, I had more than $50,000 in student loan and credit card debt and no college degree to show for it, by the way. (laughs) So many people these days, right? You you get on the four-year plan and the five-year plan and the six-year plan, and then all of a sudden you're out with no degree and a mountain of debt. It's so true. And so and and I had contributed to the problems myself by making all kinds of really poor financial decisions and overspending. And so I found myself with this bucket of debt, feeling very lost, very rock bottom, and thought, I'm not getting out of this on my own. I need something to hold myself accountable for for it. And that's really how this was this was born. You know, it's interesting. I just published a book in February called Age Proof with a doctor. Um, aiming to help people change both their financial behavior and their health-related behavior to get themselves on the right track. And one of the tenets in the book is having an accountability buddy, mm-hmm. you know, having somebody else who can hold your hand, keep you accountable, and not tell you you're doing the right thing when you're actually doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like that's exactly what this site became for you. Yeah, the internet became my accountability buddy. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of a lot of friendly and not-so-friendly Accountability buddies. Very true. So as you started this, was it hard to get honest? Um, Absolutely, because I had spent um, nearly a decade on my own sort of lying to myself. You know, I, I grew up in a family where personal finance was out on the table. We talked about it a lot. 
Um, we had a family budget uh, from the age of like five or six. We know how much our parents made um, and we knew how much money was in each category. And my mom would challenge us uh, to uh, help contribute to that. So one of my favorite examples is uh, we were trying to get the electric bill down and she made a chart and had us kids go measure on the side of the house uh, the meter each day and then challenge us to see if we could get it even lower the next day. So I grew up with that. um, But as soon as I got on my own, I guess like a lot of 18 year olds, I quickly forgot about everything I learned and went the opposite way. Started buying things I couldn't afford, uh, signing up for classes that I wouldn't go to and uh, starting jobs only to quit them a few months later or, or starting temporary jobs that didn't have a real future in my pa- uh, real future for me. So I made all those really bad decisions and many times I had to go to the mom and dad well to sort of bail me out. Did they? They did. They, I mean, my parents have always been great. But every time you do it, it gets a little harder. Um, not only is it more frustrating for them the older you get, but it started to really hurt my own self-confidence to have to keep asking mom and dad to pay rent. So what was the thing that tipped you into thinking, I am just not going to ask anymore. I'm going to do this on my own, and I'm going to do it in a very public way. So I remember asking my dad for rent money uh, once, and of course he obliged, uh, and I and he said, "Listen, we've done this a few times, and if we're going to do this again, we need you to be honest with how much debt you have." And so my parents had me get all the bills out, and and we figured out, and it was the, only the first time I had realized that that total had gotten up to fifty thousand dollars. And so after I came to that realization, a few months later, I got hired on a, I used to work on political campaigns, and I got hired on a new job, and I was back in the same boat again. I had run out of money, and I was waiting for my first check. I was lucky they were putting me up in a little efficiency, but I didn't have any money to buy food. And I remembered that call that, or that chat I had had with my parents, and they said, you know, never again. And and. I thought, I just can't go ask. I can't ask one more time. And, you know, I only had to get through two weeks of really, um, I would look for change on the side of the road oh, to God. buy ramen, I would anything I could. But I just was so defeated, I couldn't ask again. And that was really my rock bottom moment. So how did you launch? And tell us what you did that other people can do mm-hmm. to straighten themselves out. Yeah. So as I mentioned, it really started as a hobby. Um, In fact, I was so broke, I couldn't even afford a domain name. So I started at the (laughs) pennyhoarder.blogspot. And um, what I did is I I realized that so much of um, what I had been focusing on was figuring out ways to save money, things to cut back on. And that's extremely important. It is. But I also wasn't bringing in enough money to pay off $50,000 in debt. So I needed to figure out ways to grow my income. And that became the fodder for the blog. I would talk about the side jobs I was doing on the weekend or at night. And not only was it my content, but it was the money I used to pay that that credit card debt off. Some of those side jobs, and, and we live in a world now where, I mean, I think everybody needs a side job. When I, when I started, and I, I've told this story before, but... When I uh, started working in New York and got myself into some credit card trouble, I got a side job teaching SATs, mm-hmm. you know, and that side job very quickly paid more than my day job paid. It wasn't going to take me where I wanted to go, but it was great. The people on my team have had side jobs as they've, you know, started working. It's very hard to live in a big city without a side job. 
It, it is. And who knows, your side job may end up becoming your business. So, <laughs> well, your side jobs, you were a movie preview auditor. Yes. You were a beer auditor. What does a beer auditor do? So a beer auditor is the first time this skinny kid ever found any popularity because what I got paid to do <laughs> <laughs> was go to grocery stores and gas stations and see if they would check my ID when I purchased beer or wine. And because it was an undercover audit, I couldn't reveal myself and I had to make a purchase. Um, so I, I would end up with sometimes 25, 30 packs of beer, bottles of wine every single day. Um, and then I, I got paid to write a small report of like 10 questions about what my experience was at the store. And that was one of the, the first jobs that I wrote about on the site. Well, you don't look old enough, I'm sorry, to buy beer now. Oh, I will take so... that, Jean Jackie. Thank you. <laughs> I always get so happy. You know, there are those bars now where they check everybody's ID, right? I get very happy in those bars because I'm like, okay, you can check my ID. I know that I don't. I did look young enough to get carded for a long, long time. I'm no longer there, but. I'm going to hold on to it as long as I can. I've, I've found that the hairline is getting further back already. <laughs> <laughs> At least you're not seeing the grays popping. Well, I'm picking those out. So. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Have they not told you? Don't you get two back? Oh well, where were you? <laughs> <laughs> you pull one out to come in. I'm just okay. saying that may be an urban myth. Good advice. Um, so you've come up with a lot of different tools that you use to keep yourself on track now that even though you've now built this successful business, one of them I know is Financial Sunday. Yes. What's Financial Sunday? Listen, I am a recovering spender and I will forever be a recovering spender. So it's important to me to have these little check-ins with myself um, because I think it's similar to any other sort of addiction where you're going to, where you deal with that the rest of your life. Um, so what, what worked for me was Financial Sundays where I made it a pleasurable thing. I sat down with a glass of wine, a good meal, and I reviewed my spending from the week prior and then reassessed whether I needed to make any edits or, or changes to my goal for the upcoming week. Do you still do it? I do. Um, so it's become more of a, a, of a project than anything now. I'm lucky that I have um, much more to, to manage, and I also have a business um, to manage. So now, in addition to my weekly check-ins, now I have quarterly check-ins with an accountant who can make sure I'm on the right track. And making sure that you're putting aside enough to pay your taxes. Exactly. I want to come back to the growth of your business in, in just a second. We're talking with Kyle Taylor, his blog, his website, his enterprise, his business is thepennyhoarder.com. We're going to talk about how you build a blog, how you monetize a blog. But before that, I want to remind everybody, Her Money is brought to you by Fidelity Investments. And Fidelity is focused on helping people like all of us, women like all of us, take charge of our financial lives because we deserve to live the lives that we work so hard for. So visit fidelity.com slash it's time. You'll find more conversations like this one with Kyle Taylor, a lot of information about not only how to manage your money, but how to manage your life, how to build a business, how to organize your time, how to deal with your money and your relationships, how to start a new career. Again, that is fidelity.com slash it's time. Kyle Taylor is the CEO and founder of The Penny Hoarder. Many people have an idea. They just start a blog mm -hmm. as a hobby. 
which is basically what you did. So when did you realize that the penny hoarder had more potential than just being a hobby? So it was about two years in, and two things happened um, almost at the same time. One, I got contacted by an editor at Oprah.com, and they asked me for some tips about uh, making extra money. And I, I thought, well, at this point, I'd only thought my mom was reading the blog, like, secretly. <laughs> <laughs> so to, to have somebody like that reach out to me, I thought, oh, my gosh, maybe this has more legs. And then I started to get letters um, shortly after that from people who said, hey, thanks for sharing your beer auditing job. I just got the same job in my city. That is the coolest thing. And it was really fulfilling to me that by sharing my own experiences, I could have some small part in helping somebody else. How did you scale? Yeah, scaling a blog is not easy. Um, And I feel like there are so many of these websites and courses out there right now that sort of... Uh, make you think blogging can be something you go you know zero to a million dollars. It took me two years before I made enough money in a month to pay my rent. Um, so it was two years of nearly working for free. So I think that's important if you're going to think about starting a blog. One of the most important things I did though was I connected with other bloggers. Mm-hmm. So in the finance world, we have uh, FinCon, which is The financial blogger convention. Exactly. Um, And it was such a great way for me to meet other people who were doing what I was doing. And as you know, a big part of building a website is getting other people to talk about you and link to you. That's important for an SEO um, perspective. So by making real friends, I started to find some online friends who could help me out. You started in 2010. Mm -hmm. When did you hire people? How did you fill this blog with enough content to make it interesting enough for people to come back to every day? So I wrote on my own for four years, and then I started trying a couple of freelancers out, and I was struggling to find, you know, going from a single author to a multi-author blog is difficult. And I, just through Googling, I Googled blog management, (laughs) and I found this company called Social Access that had a team of freelancers to create content. And most of the freelancers were similar to me in that they were young and had debt and were all doing all these side gigs. And it turned into a perfect relationship where for the next year, um, they started contributing to the site. And then I didn't hire my first employee until 20 months ago. Wow. And now you have? 65. That's incredible. I know. It's, it's pretty insane. We're very, very excited. What would you say to people who have websites, not necessarily blogs, but just websites that they're looking to monetize? What's, what's you know, there's so many crafting sites and cooking sites and, you know, so many different things. What's the secret? Well, I've been very vocal that I think the, the blog model and the website model is broken. So many websites rely on display ads. And uh, display ads have been falling in rates for many years now. We're getting ad blindness, clicking on them less and less. And so as a result, websites have made the ads even bigger and right. even more annoying. And now they pre-roll video and they, they, you know, you've got your computers making a million sounds without you even knowing it. And eating up all your data. Exactly. And so then now as users, we've responded with ad blockers. And so now some studies have shown that up to 30% of mobile users have an ad blocker. That means that that traditional model of display is not sustainable. And I think that's actually a really powerful thing for bloggers, especially if you're just getting started, is to look for other monetization opportunities. Could you work with a client on a flat sponsored post basis? 
Could you create your own course or sell your own product? Um, figure out a, something unique that isn't reliant on those big gross display ads, as I say. <laughs> <laughs> and you've been very successful with affiliates, right? So yeah. explain what an affiliate is and how that works. Yeah. So another word for it, we call it performance marketing, where we partner with a brand. Um, so General Mills is one of our partners, and they want help distributing coupons and recipes about General Mills products that help people save money. It's perfectly aligned with, with what you're trying with to do. Our site. Um, and so we write about the offers, we create videos, and then General Mills, for every person who clips a coupon or signs up, pays us on a performance basis rather than a page view basis. One of the things that I think is interesting about the penny hoarder, and I pay attention, is you've got a lot of interesting ideas. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of interesting, oh, I could try that kind of pieces of content. So as you think back over the last few months of content, what are the most fun tips and tricks that you have for listeners to Her Money? Because I actually think we share a lot of sensibility. Yeah, so one of our goals with content on the Penny Hoarder is to make all of our news actionable. So there is something, there's a little homework assignment at the end of every, yeah. <laughs> every post um, that can help you get ahead. And we share interesting jobs, work from home jobs, stories about um, people who have paid off debt. But some of my personal favorite content, obviously, because it's where I started, is about side gigs. Um, and we've had some fun ones. Um, we did a story a few months ago. One of our contributors uh, has a cricket farm in his backyard, and he sells those crickets to the local pet store. And he's made over $10,000 with crickets. Can you believe it? <laughs> <laughs> Um, they're not all that strange, but it, there, there's hopefully something for everybody on the site. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this was fun. It's nice to meet you in person. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you for being here. And we will be right back with Kelly and Questions. Kelly has joined me in the studio. Do you remember seeing the Penny Hoarder folks at FinCon last year? I do, and they were doing the cool VR virtual experience. Yeah, I put on, this was my first time I ever put on virtual reality goggles, and the idea was that you were supposed to grab for pennies. Mm -hmm. it just everybody who was doing it looked ridiculous. I'm sure I looked ridiculous when I was doing it, too. I didn't know you did it. I did it. Oh, fun. I did it. All right, what do we have? Tori on Facebook sent us a message. I have a question, or several, about the best way to handle an inheritance from a relative. It is coming out of two IRAs. Also, money from separate trust accounts is being divvied up between several individuals, including my children. I would like to know how best to set all of this up in an IRA or other appropriate account. Also, if possible, I would like to find out how to use some of this money to put a down payment on a house and pay off some bills. Thank you. Okay, couple of things. When it comes to inheritances that are coming out of IRAs, there are rules for how and when you can take this money. And those rules are a little bit complicated, um, but it has to do with your ability to stretch out the payouts, if you like, so that the money can continue to grow tax deferred, which is a really, really good thing. Um, my advice on an inheritance, and this pretty much goes for any inheritance, is I'd like you to sit down with an advisor, even if you don't have an advisor, and get some um, get some guidance on not just the tax treatment of this inheritance, but also how to use the money for the house, the down payment that you're talking about. Large sums of money, particularly inheritances, can make us emotional. They can make us trigger happy. They can make us 
act in ways that we later regret. And doing that, particularly when it is with an inheritance from somebody you love, can be really torturous if you come to regret it later on. So even if you don't have an advisor, sit down with an advisor and don't do anything for the first six months that you've got this money because you really want to think about whether what you think you want to do is what you actually want to do. And I'm sorry for your loss. Thank you, Jean, and thank you, Tori, for your question. Our next is an email from Emily. First, she offers a little background. I'm 31 and my husband is 32. We have two little kids, a three-year-old and a seven-month-old. The last year or so has been a doozy for us. My husband quit his job 14 months ago and we moved states eight months ago so he could open his own business. The business isn't open yet, so we are living off one income. Once the business opens, our plan is to save as much as possible of his income and continue to live off of mine. We are making monthly contributions to retirement and college, albeit smaller than I'd like, but our more immediate financial goal is to save for a down payment. We currently rent and would like to buy a house within the next two to three years as our son is entering kindergarten. What's the best type of account to be putting our money in? We have a balanced fund through Fidelity, yay Fidelity, that has been open and growing for years. Should we add it to that to get a higher rate of return or given the short timeline, would it make sense to open a money market savings account or even a short-term CD? Yes. The answer (laughs) is yes to the um, short-term account. Down payment funds are funds that you don't want to lose. So they fall into the category of short-term funds. And although the market has been doing very well lately, it'll roller coaster because that's just what the market does. So a money market account is great. If you can eke out a little bit of additional return with a CD, you may want to go in that direction, but interest rates are going up. So you don't want to lock it up in a longer-term CD where you won't be able to capture those interest rate hikes. I'd probably just look on bankrate.com, find the money market or savings account that has the very best rate, and put the money there. Excellent. And our final question is an email from Allison. She writes, I started my own business last year and I'm no longer contributing to a 401k. I have two 401ks from old jobs and I'm wondering what I should do with them and what is the best way for me to continue to contribute to retirement now that I'm self-employed. I want to contribute 5000 to make up for no contributions the second half of last year. My business did not turn a profit last year. However, she's anticipating that it will in 2017. What is her best solution? So Your best solution is an IRA. You can choose between a Roth IRA and a traditional IRA. Roth, you will have paid the taxes on that money already. Traditional, you get a tax deduction for making your contributions. And then a Roth grows tax-free forever. You don't even have to withdraw it. You can pass it on to other generations. On a traditional IRA, you pay the taxes when you take the money out. The most you can put into an IRA each year is $5,500 until you get to age 50, at which point you can kick in an extra thousand. So that lines up pretty accurately with your goals. And as far as those other 401ks are concerned, you could roll them into an IRA at the same place that you open that other IRA. That would enable you to have some administrative easiness. You could log on to one financial institution and see everything. It would make rebalancing a little bit easier. But If you like the alternatives that you've been offered within your 401ks and the fees on those 401ks haven't jumped since you've left the company, it may be cheaper to leave the money in the 401ks where they are. 
And good luck with your business. That's great that you're going to turn a profit in the second year. Absolutely. And thank you, Jean. Absolutely. And we've got a special guest coming in for Thrive. We do. We do. So I'd like everybody to welcome Hayden Field to Her Money. Hi, Hayden. Hi. So excited to be here, Jean. Oh, it's great to have you here. And for those of you who don't know, Hayden is an important member of our team. She is one of our reporters. She works behind the scenes tirelessly on Her Money. And she recently did a bunch of reporting on something called app stacking, which we mentioned on the show, but we wanted to do a deeper dive, and I thought you could do a better job of it than I can. So first of all, what is it? So app stacking is definitely a thing with certain bloggers who travel full-time just on their points alone, but anyone can do this if they're organized. But the trick is you definitely have to be organized. Well, take a step back, though, and tell us what exactly is it? So app stacking is the process of combining different deals on top of each other to get better rewards and discounts. Oh, okay. So So that that makes total sense. How do you start? You start getting organized. You decide which type of rewards you want to glean from this. So there's money, travel, and stuff, Mm -hmm. which is clothes, home goods, and other items. And the way it works is shopping portals or cashback websites get more revenue and advertising commissions the more people they send to their site. And they give pieces of that commission back to their users. So people use these websites combined with additional savings from store rewards, coupons, or mileage and rewards credit cards to stack their way to the best deals. And you were explaining to me, so first you want to make a list of the top five or ten stores that you shop the most, right? Exactly. So you make that list, and then before your next shopping spree, you use this website called cashbackmonitor.com to find out which shopping portal offers the highest base percentage back for the purchases at your chosen store. So that's either going to be in cashback or in miles per dollar. Ebates is one of the most well-known ones. Right. So when I when I do this, sometimes I go through Ebates. Ebates is one of these portals, right? Absolutely. And then major airlines and credit card companies also have portals. So it all depends on what you want. You choose the best one for your money on Cashback Monitor, and then you start shopping. And you'll want to combine that practice with store rewards programs. So you take those same five or ten favorite stores that you made the list of before. You sign up for each one's point rewards program. And then... Usually you do have to give them an email address, so if you want to avoid that, you can set up a new one just for this. Very, very helpful. All right, and so is there a way, once you're on all of these different things, to keep the rewards straight so that you know that you're actually getting what you should be getting? Yes. So obviously it's kind of confusing to have all these different points programs. So what you want to do is use awardwallet.com. So it's a tool that keeps all of that store information in one place, and it helps you keep track of the points you've racked up. How do my rewards credit cards fit into this? So your rewards credit cards, first of all, you need to know what those rewards policies are for each one. So you'll research them through Google or a site like NerdWallet. You just type in the name of your card. And sometimes they'll offer larger rewards for certain stores or types of purchases. And you can use that to pay when you're shopping through the methods we talked about earlier. And if you have multiple rewards credit cards, you can use an app like Wallaby. It'll tell you which one is best rewards-wise for whichever thing you're buying. 
Boy, there's so much information here. I think we're going to put all of this into a handy little cheat sheet for people. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, I'm in my car or I'm on a run and I couldn't write down all of those different websites that Hayden just sent me to, just drop us a note at jeanchatsky.com and we will drop you our download. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Anything I'm missing? If you happen to have an American Express credit card, mm-hmm. there's a secret stacking weapon, one of our sources said, called Amex Offers. You can find this when you log into your account, and they usually have a 20% cashback coupon. So you can use that at a store and receive $20 back if you're spending 100 And you can stack that with sales, coupons, shopping portals, store rewards, and it'll all add up. Coupons are another thing not to pass by here, because although they're old school, they really do help, especially when you're using it as another stacking block. So we're talking about the fact that if you do this right and you you get good at it and it takes a little getting good at, you can save yourself a ton of money. Absolutely, especially if you use multiple of these stacking blocks at the same time. And a lot of us already have rewards credit cards. We just aren't sure what the rewards go to. Wow. All right. I'm going to digest all of this information. I'm going to read our cheat sheet. But thank you, Hayden, and welcome to the program. I'm so excited. Yay. And thank you all so much for being with us today. A big thank you to my guest, Kyle Taylor of The Penny Hoarder. Thank you to Kelly for bringing us the questions. Thanks to Fidelity for sponsoring the show. As always, we really appreciate you. Our music is provided by Track Tribe. Our show comes to you through PRX. And don't be surprised when you get a little gift from us midweek. Kelly and I have recorded a bonus mailbag episode. We wanted to make sure that we got to as many of your questions as possible. So take a minute, listen to that. Let us know what you think. We'll talk soon.